Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show George Richards, director of Community Jamil. Community Jamil advances science and learning for communities to thrive. They were launched back in 2003. And today, they're supporting scientists and diverse intellectual talent across the globe, always ensuring that the research they're backing is clearly targeted towards alleviating a social problem. And among the many remarkable initiatives they've enabled and supported over the years is JPAL at MIT, the Abdul Latif Jamil Poverty Alleviation Lab, JPAL. Not often you get to be uh, supportive and enabling a Nobel Prize winning experimental approach to alleviating global poverty, but there you go. So that's just going to be one of the key things we're talking about today with George. And George, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Well, it's such a pleasure to welcome you onto the show. It's good to speak with you again. And uh, well, you're the, you're the director of Community Jamil. Why don't we start by finding out a little bit about that. What's Community Jamil all about? Well, Community Jamil is one of a number of organizations established by the Jamil family who come from the port city of Jeddah in Saudi Arabia. Um, they have been supporting philanthropic and community service activities for over 75 years, maybe 80 years now. And uh, in that time, established a number of uh, organizations to advance um, that mission, one of which is Community Jamil, which has its own mission is to advance science and learning for communities to thrive. And in essence, what that means is that we're, um, we support science, scientists uh, and research, but also a sort of wider a spectrum of actors um, in, a, in, in an effort to tackle some of the world's greatest, most pressing challenges, whether that's climate change, poverty, food insecurity, uh, disease, uh, as I said, harnessing the power of science, technology, data, uh, rigorous evidence to achieve that. Excellent. Wonderful. And I know some of the partnerships you've uh, you've established and nurtured, they're incredible. Uh, so you work closely with MIT and other universities. Give us a little bit of insight into that one, and, and especially perhaps MIT to start with, because I think that uh, that should uh, that should go first. Sure. I mean, so well, MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, is is one of our um, longer-standing partners. Um, that's partly a result of the fact that our founder and chairman, Mohammed Jamil, is an alum of MIT. And uh, we've, we started off supporting a, um, a scholarship at MIT back in the 1990s called the Jamil Toyota Scholarship, so named because the Jamil family has a longstanding relationship with Toyota Motor Corporation um, amongst other business activities, the Jamil family distributes uh, is the distributor for Toyota in, in Saudi Arabia. And to reflect that deep uh, affinity, we supported the establishment of the scholarship, 
which provides access for undergraduates to MIT. And since its um, establishment has helped over 200 students from um, mostly countries in um, Southeast Asia and um, Africa and the Arab world uh, to study at MIT. But kind of building on that, um, we then supported what was then a small group of development economists who had gathered together in the Department of Economics as the Poverty Action Lab. And we um, provided support uh, to the team to really scale up their activities. And what they were doing was applying the randomized control trials that we're probably all familiar with from the pharmaceutical sector when a new drug is given to a, uh, a test group and then another, uh, maybe a different drug or no drug at all is given to the control group and data is gathered on the effectiveness of that drug. Well, this team of uh, development economists was applying the same methodology, but to understand the effectiveness of development interventions, whether that might be microfinance or the distribution of mosquito nets to prevent malaria, in every field, education, health, um, but ultimately with the goal of alleviating poverty. And that uh, team then, which had been founded in 2003, but which we started to support and partner with from 2005, uh, is today known as the Abdul Latif Jamil Poverty Action Lab, or JPAL. And, um, and this year, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary. And the amazing milestone that the team has achieved in reaching, touching the lives of over 600 million people by generating rigorous evidence of what works in fighting poverty by conducting these randomized control trials of different types of um, poverty alleviation interventions. But then also taking that evidence to the folks who are capable of implementing those programs, whether it's governments or donors or international aid agencies, and scaling up the ones that really work. And by doing that, transforming the lives of, as, as I said, hundreds of millions of people. And that was one of the very first of these sort of centers of excellence, research centers, which Community Jamil has supported. That was the first one at MIT and the first one um, in general. But since then, we've supported um, a few more at MIT, including the uh, Jamil Water and Food Systems Lab, the Jamil World Education Lab, and most recently the uh, Jamil Clinic for Machine Learning and Health. And we've taken the similar approach to our collaborations with other institutions like Imperial College London, where we've established the Jamil Institute, uh, which looks at uh, uh, how to control diseases through data modeling. I was very active during the COVID-19 pandemic. And most recently, uh, two more, one with the University of Edinburgh and the International Livestock Research Institute in Kenya, Save the Children, and also uh, MIT again called the Jamil Observatory, which looks at modeling climate change and uh, helping to alleviate food insecurity and support farmers. And, um, and something called the Jamil Arts and Health Lab, which is a collaboration with the World Health Organization, uh, New York University, and um, a, a production company called Culture Runners to understand the effectiveness of the arts 
in improving human health. So as you can see, a very diverse spectrum of kinds of interventions, but ultimately united by this, I suppose, common approach the community Jamil takes of trying to provide support to um, researchers with great ideas to optimize the conditions for them to achieve breakthroughs in their given field and ultimately to, to help ensure that those breakthroughs spin out of the laboratory and have a, a real impact on the lives of the people uh, in most need, wherever they may be. Remarkable, remarkable. And perhaps a degree of modesty there, but j has been recognized. Uh, tell us a little bit about that big prize that uh, that was awarded a while back. Right, yes. Well, in, in, in 2019, um, the co-founders of j Professor Esther Duflo and Professor Abhijit Banerjee, and their longtime collaborator, Professor Michael Kramer, were awarded the uh, Nobel Prize in economics for their experimental approach to alleviating uh, global poverty. And actually, that was an interesting, I think, um, turning point also in the in the sort of j story. And, and although j of course, were very partial to it at Community Jamil, um, as the Nobel laureates themselves are keen to point out there's really a movement of development economists uh, trying to apply the similar experimental methodology to really understand and increase the effectiveness and efficiency of how we tackle development. But what that what that Nobel Prize, I think, did for, for J-PAL was to um, create a moment of reflection following which J-PAL has really understood and, and, and began to target climate change um, as a priority alongside poverty alleviation, acknowledging also that climate change and poverty are so deeply interlinked and the, the effects or the, the impact of climate change is often felt most acutely by the poorest. So it's kind of, it, it, it's been um, obviously a, a great accolade for, um, for, for the laureates and has helped to, I think, amplify uh, the advocacy and the messaging that the team has been doing, but also provided, as I said, this important moment of, of reflection, which um, has now galvanized a new chapter in what j is doing to help improve the lives of people around the world. So with this approach, you mentioned, you know, if we're, if we're looking at that journey initially, it was the scholarships granted, okay, MIT is a center of excellence, and, and, and it's good that... Your founder has that affinity with the school because of being an alum. Uh, how, how did that uh, then transform into this approach or methodology that you have about creating these hubs, these knowledge hubs of excellence? Um, because that's a transition, right? You see a lot of people doing scholarships, and, and that's wonderful. Uh, but you've, you've innovated on that, and you've, you've moved it into something that's different and something that perhaps becomes a, a recipe that others might want to emulate. I, I think that some of the um, some of the thinking was in, in its own way experimental as well. I mean, one of the earliest projects that Community Jamil, this is even before actually what is now known as Community Jamil existed, but which the Jamil family um, supported, was the first um, management and business um, center or school in I think the Arab world, which was which still exists, which is called the Jamil Center. Its full name is the Abdelatif Jamil Center for Management Studies at the 
American University in Cairo. And uh, the building that was supported by the Jamil family is still an iconic uh, landmark of modernist design in, um, in the old Greek campus of the American University in Cairo, just off Tahrir Square in Cairo. And I think there was, from the, from the earliest days, there was the idea of how can uh, a seed be sown that can over time grow into something uh, more than itself. Of course, scholarships have that potential too, uh, if they can continue to grow and support more and more students, and those students go on to achieve great things. Um, and I think it was, it was kind of taking uh, variations on that theme that led to the idea of really establishing research-based centers of excellence. But it was it was it was always important. It always has been, and still is important to community Jamil and to the to the family. I I think that the research is never for research's sake. It always has to be targeted towards having real impact, and that's why um, we've been so lucky to find such inspiring research teams who we've been able to support, who have been able to really have just such an incredible um, effect. On improving the lives, JPAL being being one great example, but indeed across the board, that's really been the um, determining uh, criterion, I think, in deciding um, which research teams and where these centers should be established. Is that the team has that clarity of vision that whatever research they're doing must ultimately um, have the goal of improving lives. Mm. And when we think of philanthropy, a lot of times uh, we think of philanthropy as sort of risk capital. And I can't think of a of, of better example than, than looking at this as risk capital. Because you didn't, you would not know whether this is going to pay off or not. You wouldn't know uh, the success that was going to be uh, uh, unfolding uh, at the time that you were, you guys were thinking about putting something like this together. That's, that's right. Um, and I think that we tried to de-risk it. To, to a degree by maintaining close contact with um, the teams that we're supporting, these research centers, providing additional support if we can, um, and ultimately trying to position ourselves as a, a, a trusted advisor and sort of um, continuing partner on the journey, but always trying to tread that fine line not to be a backseat driver not to be overbearing and to um interfere with uh you know the, the core work which we're supporting which of course the the team ultimately knows best and i think we we've really enjoyed um learning from the research teams that we work with in term in in shaping the strategy to a small degree and uh, ultimately as i said trying to be there um, to make suggestions, to provide additional support as required. And through all of that, through maintaining that ongoing relationship, um, to some degree, it feels less of a risk, feels less of a, a one-off uh, gift, but ultimately much more of a, of a journey together, um, which also makes it so much more rewarding when um, the team achieves these great accomplishments and we see the impact that they're having on the lives of so many people around the world. Absolutely. Now, was it difficult uh, striking that right balance between being involved and being close with the team, but also not being 
overbearing and too imposing and letting people you know spread their wings and do their own stuff was it difficult setting that up initially and i imagine over time with your marginal uh, effort and cost and 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 uh and requirement for innovation diminishes a little bit because you've seen it tried and tested at mit so you can roll out labs elsewhere but initially with mit in this particular uh, exercise with jpal was it difficult uh, reaching this optimal sort of uh, uh, way of working together obviously you probably have to ask the uh, the labs and the researchers whether we've achieved that optimal relationship but I think for, from our perspective, uh, it, certainly some of it, um, you know, I, I, as I under, I'm not from the investment world, but as I understand is the case in the investment world, some of this uh, depends on good personal relations and having a, a, a seeing eye to eye with the researchers themselves. That's, I think, a really important part of it. Certainly at the beginning, in the early days, when, you're, when these conversations are being had by a handful of people, um, there needs to be a real meeting of minds. And I think that's that's part of it, good personal uh, ties. But we also spend a lot of time trying to design the centers. And perhaps our counterparts might say too long, but it's really important to us to bottom out what the long-term uh, path looks like for these centers because, because we want to ultimately give um, a long runway and step back and allow the team to do what they do best, we do spend an additional amount of time at the, at the beginning trying to shape the strategy, understand how we see this lab growing over time. And that design phase, uh, which is very much a collaboration between the researchers, the host institution, MIT or, or wherever it might be, and community Jamil, uh, is vitally important, we have, we have found, to ensuring long-term success. So we're not constantly going back and trying to, as Community Jamil, trying to tweak uh, what the objectives are, or what the strategy should be uh, for the for the lab, or for the research um, centre. And ultimately, there's, there's a clear um, long-term target, and that's what we're all working towards together, both pointed in the same direction. So I think th those are probably the two main takeaway takeaways i think you know obviously the meeting of minds and the, and the personal relationship on the one hand and really taking the time to design um the strategy and, and how you see the growth of the center very carefully and that then takes a lot of the the stress out of the process further down the line because you're not constant you, you have less um less concern i, f I feel like it is a sort of de-risking process to use the uh terminology you mentioned earlier. Hmm. I love the fact that you're not just doing the research, but also thinking about the research and what sort of practical implications it has in improving our society, uh, sustainable development goals. You know, this that clarity of thought, which must be, um, which is refreshing, and 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 I can see why why you have it there. What about the next step? So you, you touched on, you know, these labs really looking at the evidence and what works in this, you know, with J-PAL, what works in fighting poverty and climate and so forth. Um, what about the next step? You also, you touched on it in terms of actually deploying this, the, the execution of that evidence into real life applications, and then also scaling it up. Give us a little bit of insight into that side of it. Yeah, I think a big part of that, and, and this is... Um you know, across the board, but I think one, one can see it um, with, with j particularly well, because 
they've been doing this for so long by comparison i think to the to the other centers that we've established is really to have a clear pathway to influencing policy that's primarily because um i think you know we'll all agree that the pockets of government are so much deeper than say the pockets of, of philanthropy and there's an opportunity to achieve change at real scale if you're able to demonstrate to government to uh, policymakers um on a scientific basis what works to provide the information the tools the data the evidence and um and work with policymakers to ensure that as i said policy is based on based on all that good science and and with jpal that would be in the na in in the form of uh, scientific evidence generated rigorous evidence generated by randomized control trials but in other cases as with um the jamila institute at imperial college during the early days of the uh covid-19 pandemic it was um the team developing models for how the virus was going to spread uh how people might be expected to react um how certain measures like lockdowns etc uh would be would have an effect on the spread of the virus and doing that um of course at home in the UK from the Jimmy Institute but also all over the world and advising governments um you know, far afield to again support that decision making process and in doing so hopefully um to save lives and in fact the Jamila Institute is now working on a really interesting sort of um uh, follow on to that early pandemic work which is called the Jamila Institute uh Kenneth C Griffin uh initiative for the effectiveness of sorry for the economics of pandemic preparedness which is looking at both the epidemiological modeling so how does the disease spread but also what is the economic cost of um interventions like lockdown and we'll all remember all around the world that there was great concern for how things like lockdown and the impact of various measures to control the spread of the pandemic were affecting the poorest in society and that's something that the Jimmy Institute is now looking at in great detail now this global outlook that you have uh in addition to supporting the likes of of, of MIT but uh, one thing we haven't really touched on much but I'd love to flesh out a bit is also looking at the at the scientific community uh, not just as it were say in the global north but uh, the intellectual talent that's scattered throughout the world and I know that that's something close to your heart as well give us a little bit of a of a, a visibility into into that space because I think uh I I think it's really worth highlighting. Absolutely and and I think that this is something that um the kind of community Jamil mindset tries to think very expansively about when we talk about science and learning it's not always just a quote, quote unquote just um the uh laboratory scientists the lab coat scientists it it includes them of course but we also think about the role that um traditional knowledge indigenous wisdom that artists and creatives can have in tackling these uh these great global challenges um just the other month we launched a new uh center at the Royal College of Art in London called Climavore X Jamil which is a collaboration with two researchers at the Royal College of Art but 
they're also artists. Uh, they go by the artists' collective name of cooking sections. And they're working with, for example, um, the, the, the center in general is looking at the role of uh, regenerative agriculture and how humans need to change the way we eat as humans change the climate. And so one of the projects that looking at is in the marshes outside Istanbul and the traditional pastoralist communities working with uh, who, who live and work with buffalo and to understand how we can reintegrate and protect that traditional practice uh, to do so in a way that is uh, responsive to climate change, but also ultimately reduces our impact on climate as well. So these kind of complicated areas that intersect on very real global challenges like climate change require an expansive approach that brings to the table a, a wide discipline or interdisciplinary approach that includes, as I said, scientists, uh, lab coat scientists, but also artists, creatives, and indeed the and, and indeed the keepers of traditional knowledge like uh, pastoralist communities. And that's something, again, that we're doing in, in Kenya, again, with pastoralists working with data scientists to produce um, early warnings about the outbreaks of famine and hunger, and hopefully, therefore, to allow governments and aid agencies to deploy resource um, ahead of time, anticipatory action and save lives. And this is, I think, a, a, a sort of a common strand in the way the community Jamil tries to think about problems is uh, to take this expansive and inclusive approach. <laughs> One of the things I'd really love to do is get a little bit of um, understand your your journey as well, um, because you sound my conjecture that you may not be originally from Saudi Arabia. And um, and I'd love to get a little bit of your take in terms of that trajectory. How did you end up where you are today, uh, being the director of Community Jamil? And uh, I think many people w w would love to understand that journey. I'm sure. Well, I, <laughs> your conjecture is correct. I am I'm British and um, of Welsh stock, uh, but born and raised in London. I studied at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, and I studied Arabic and Persian. And that triggered uh, a fascination with particularly the history and culture of the Arab world and indeed the broader uh, Middle East and Southwest Asia, North Africa uh, region. I worked as a lawyer for a while, but was also involved in uh, efforts to control the trafficking of illicit antiquities and the destruction of cultural property. Uh, particularly in the uh, in that region, and things obviously escalated during the um, ISIS attacks on Palmyra and elsewhere. And it was about that time that I was um, that, that I joined the broader Jamil ecosystem. Actually, the uh, community Jamil sister organization called Art Jamil, which is focused on on the arts, as the name suggests. And over time, from initially working on sort of cultural programs at our Jamil um, was moved around and finally found my my home in community Jamil where I, where I am today. And um, I think there's actually, there are lots of commonalities in, in dealing with, um, you know, the great challenges that we all face, both in the cultural world and in the scientific world. And one of the things that the Jamil family and indeed that our Jamil community Jamil working together often try to do is to 
blur or even erase those boundaries between um, sort of science and development on the one hand and, and the arts and culture on the other. And actually we see a lot of commonalities and, and we're working together, um, including for the upcoming COP28, which is going to be in, in Dubai, um, uh, where Art Jamil has the Jamil Art Center, which is a contemporary art museum, which uh, will no doubt be hosting uh, activities connected to uh, the COP28 climate conference. Mm. Do you ever have a boring day at the office? It doesn't sound to me like that's a possibility. <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's not only not boring, but it's also endlessly illuminating. And I think one of the things we're most fortunate about uh, in community is working with these uh, amazing scientists. You know, you heard about the Nobel laureates earlier, but across the board, inspiring scientists, great minds, but also people uh, fiercely committed to applying their work to have an impact on improving the lives of people around the world. Mm, absolutely. Is there a forum or a convening or something you do with all of these amazing scientists to, uh, because they may not know each other, they're in different fields, as you pointed out. Um, is there anything that happens sort of like telling all of these uh, wonderful minds, look, you're doing remarkable work. You're also part of our family. You know what, Alberta, you've, you've taken the idea out of my mind. I mean, that is <laughs> something that we we want to do. We had slowly been mooting it just before the pandemic began. And it went obviously onto the back burner. But it's something that we would love to to do in due course. And, and um, you know, we, we're called Community Jamil because we want to create a community. And I think having that kind of a, a regular or semi-regular convening of all of these uh you know great thinkers and scientists and actors um would be really a great way to accelerate towards our goal of having of making community jamil uh a real thriving community uh, well i cannot wait for that to happen i'll take a little bit of credit then <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um but listen before we wrap up uh, george a key takeaway what's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode um well i suppose the thing that we do think about a lot is of course because community jamil has its roots in saudi arabia and i probably mentioned a lot of the partners that we've supported in universities like MIT and Imperial and University of Edinburgh, but we've also got a long track record of supporting researchers and scientists in places like uh, Egypt, at um, King Abdulaziz University in Saudi Arabia, more recently in Kenya, and now um, also around the uh, South Asia, Southeast Asia regions. We feel very keenly the need to support scientists and researchers um, outside of, the, I suppose, the traditionally best funded universities of the world. And it's a challenge because, um, as I've heard it said before, supporting science is somewhat akin to supporting um, elite sport. And when one thinks of how elite sports people are funded by, for example, Olympic committees ahead of Olympic cycles, the challenge is always set to get X number of gold medals. And if you are successful, that sport will achieve significant funding. If they fail, they will uh, have their funding docked. And, all, and similarly, if you overachieve, having been set a lower bar, you'll get, you'll get a lot of funding. And there's something true, which is that 
elite sport funding and science funding has to be slightly brutal because when you're dealing with the great pressing challenges of our time, what's most important is to achieve the breakthrough. But I still believe that there's a, an obligation to address the inequities, uh, often for historical reasons, that mean that science tends to be much better funded in some places compared to others. And that's something the community Jamil is, is proud to be working towards and uh, ensuring that uh, funding does channel to geographies and to institutions and to researchers and scientists who um, traditionally might not have been as well resourced or might have been overlooked. And that is that's something that I think that we all, um, those of us who are fortunate to be able to support scientists, um, should be considering in making these decisions. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. George, thank you so much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. Uh, such an informative and such a refreshing uh, conversation. So very much enjoyed uh, hosting you on the show and learning about the work you're doing. Some truly remarkable stuff. Thank you for having me. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with George Richards, director of Community Jamil. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other case studies and interviews with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thoroughly enjoyed producing today's episode for you, and I will catch you this coming Monday.